I'm Johan Martinez Kalilian. As an executive coach, I time travel with people. I help people create their future from their future. One of our guiding principles as coaches is how future-based language transforms the way the world occurs to us. In other words, the way you speak about tomorrow shifts the way you look at the world today. It also shifts how you interact with that world. Join me as we write a letter from the future with love. When I'm alone in my room, sometimes I stare at the wall and in the back of my mind, I hear my conscience call telling me I need a girl who's as sweet as a dove. For the first time in my life, I see I need love. I remember the first time I heard that song as a kid, all of 10 years old. Something switched in me. I knew I needed to find that kind of love that L.L. was talking about. Someone who I would lay down my jacket over a puddle for. But what did I know about love back then? I knew I loved Ninja Turtles. I loved Saturday morning cartoons. I loved my parents. And I loved my dog. But this one word couldn't possibly mean the same thing across the board, could it? The Greeks figured this out a long time ago. That's why they came up with eight, yes, eight different words for love. There's eros, the central romantic kind of love that LL was talking about, and philea, brotherly love, and where Philadelphia gets his nickname. And then I'm, I'm not going to be able to pronounce this right, but philashua, self-love, storage, the love of your parents and children, pragma, love built on commitments, and where the word pragmatic comes from, ludus, which, I mean, I, I want to say luda, but it's, it's definitely not pronounced that way, so I'm doing the best that I can here. Is the honeymoon phase love? Mania is an obsessive love. And where we get the word maniac. And lastly, agape. Agape acts as an altruistic, selfless, and unconditional love. Agape love is selfless, sacrificial, and unconditional. It is a love that is not based on feelings or emotions, but on a decision to love someone no matter what. Living a life of agape love is not always easy. It often means putting the needs of others above our own, even when it's inconvenient or difficult. But the rewards of a life spent loving others in this way are measurable. When we choose to love others unconditionally, we open ourselves up to a deeper level of connection and true love. Have you been there? Have you experienced this type of love? Now, we also model for others what it looks like to love without expecting anything in return. While living a life of agape love is not always easy, trust me, I'm, I feel like I'm always put to the test with the different relationships in my life. It's always worth it. When we choose to love others selflessly and unconditionally, we are living out the highest form of love. We're also making a difference in the lives of those around us. Today, our guest, my brother, my good friend, Ruben Rojas, talks about the pursuit of agape in his life. Starting in real estate to becoming an artist and creator, he shares his story of leaving cynicism behind and embracing love in his day-to-day life. I'd love, I'd love for you to, to introduce yourself, give the, give the world a, a quick insight into what is it, you know, what do you do and why in the world do you do it? My name is Ruben Rojas. I am an artist, overall creator, and I do this because I have to. I have to do it. That's the bottom line. And I would do it if I was a billionaire, and I would do it if I was dead broke. 
And what I do is just share that there's an opportunity to view the world through the lens of love. You've got to make it a choice. It's an active choice. You know, love is a verb because it's really easy to turn on the TV and be drowned by fear, right? There's no lack of fear in the world. So the more we start responding to life by choosing love actively, we can actually end up being happier because only we can make ourselves happy. But there's so much love in the world. And it's really hard to forget that. Yeah, I mean, how did you discover that? Because I feel like it's so many people talk about love as a concept or as an idea. But, you know, from the time I've spent with you, it's more than an idea or a concept. And how did you discover what love really is and let it sort of root in your soul? Well, I'll start by saying that I am love and I have always been love. And that is you. That is everyone listening. That's anyone tuning in. We are always love. And I realized that I took the long road in being here, right? I say I took the scenic route Mm -hmm. and found myself in real estate, chasing money, validating myself through diamond watches and 26-inch rims, motorcycles, boats, you name it. And, you know, it was great. My early 20s, I'm Colombian. We're already a little ostentatious. And, and the world says you're successful if you have these things. And then I lost it all, right? I went bankrupt, you know, 2008 happened, all of that. Then I went into finance, found myself into that cycle again, and really started finding myself really, really, really sad and unmotivated and victim-y and unworthy of success or any of that, realizing that why I didn't just say I was depressed. Because ultimately, that's what it was. I just avoided saying that that's what it was. Mm. But in that journey, then I went and did some emotional intelligence work before it became the buzzword that it is today, before it became as mainstream. And going through there and starting to do the, the reps and do the work, I then took inventory of myself before I allowed money to be my guide. And I was like, wait a minute. I was always this guy because I looked at old blog posts, you know, like I, I would put my training in there and my food and I'd write a little blog about, you know, now is the right time because it's never the right time and you make it the right time. Like I was always positive and optimistic, but somewhere right. along the way I got lost in that. And I think that all of us are like that. Even if we go all the way back, I have a 16 month old now. Talk about yeah. eternal curiosity. Everything is something amazing. And I started taking that and looking at a piece of trash that I give to him that he thinks is the greatest thing on the planet. And I'm like, wow, it crinkles, it's shiny, it makes noise. Of course, this is interesting to him because he doesn't know it. And then we they're operating with zero constraints. So nothing is limiting them. So, you know, long journey forward, I started realizing like I was always this, but what took me away from that? And what I realized is societal constraints are all these things that we deem normal or we deem what we're supposed to do. And I'm not talking about being a good human laws. I'm just talking about ways of thinking, right? Because we start Mm -hmm. getting lost in marketing says we're not good enough. So we got to go buy these things. But that's not true. I buy things because I want them. Like I want this. I want to floss this. This is dope. And I create, and I like the craftsmanship in it. Where previously it was like, what was I missing inside? I need this so someone gives me a compliment to validate me. Right? There's two ways of looking at that. So again, it's just how are we looking at these things? Are we responding? Or are we reacting? 
I love it. The show that I came up with and actually, you know, came up with it in the midst of the pandemic, you know, this idea of from the future with love was birthed because I noticed that so many people's conception of the future was rooted in fear. And, you know, people who, you know, talk about we were in the midst of a pandemic, everything that happened with George Floyd, our political situation. And whenever people would talk about America or the world, it was always bleak. And I had this idea to be like, what, what if we had time travelers who actually came from the future and brought us these love letters of what the future looks like by saying, hey, if you, if you show up and, and actually give more, this is the future that you could experience. If, if, if you show up and you're more patient, here's the future that we could experience in America. Here's a, here's a future where everybody votes. Here's a future where there's no more cancel culture. Here's a future where, you know, fill in the blank. But it, it's essentially a, a message of love and of hope instead of, you know, that which is bleak. And that's part of why I felt like it would per- it'd be perfect for us to, to talk about that because I think that's part of what's missing right now is mm-hmm. so many people are taking the evidence of today and thinking that's what's projecting into the future instead of saying, oh, the evidence of today is all the more reason to create a loving tomorrow. I want to see like, yeah, how do you interact with this idea of like, what would it look like for us to create future visions that are actually rooted in love? Let me back up a little bit and I got to acknowledge yeah. you for that. The really cool concept of saying, hey, let's take back these love letters from the future. Because I, I like to say, hey, go write yourself a love letter. Like literally write it to mm. yourself. A lot of people have a hard time doing that. And we're surrounded by post-apocalyptic movies all the time, right? And we get lost in them. They're fun to look at. But is that really the future? Is it WALL-E? And is it Ready Player One? And is it Mad Max? Is that what the world's going to be? It could be if that's where we end up going, continuing down this path. But yeah. coming in from that, that love angle, like what could it be? Why don't we take inventory and evidence of what's happening now and choose other? I think it's a, I'm going to see if I get it right. But I remember most Def in one of his albums, he was asked, he basically started talking about, he was talking to somebody and they said, what's the future of hip hop? And he said, the future of hip hop is wherever we are. You know, and to me, this is part of what, why I think some of our projections of the future are post-apocalyptic and bleak is because I think there's a lot of cynicism in our world. And so we project these very cynical views of tomorrow instead of saying, hold on a second, the future is wide open. And if we are people of love and people of hope, imagine what tomorrow can look like, Mm -hmm. right? But if we're full of despair, full of cynicism, you know, if we're skeptics, then of course we're going to paint a tomorrow that none of us really want to look forward to, you know? And so I think that's the thing is like, how can, and that's part of what I love about, you know, the powerful simplicity of your message, right? It's like, I want to remind humanity, this is who we are. This is where we come from. So let's keep building from this place. Yeah. And also to add to, you know, the cynicism of, it's victimhood, right? And and people like to congregate and get together, but can we actually, instead of commiserate, you know, go and create this optimistic, positive circle of what is the opposite of commiserate? What would be the word for that? And start doing that instead. And also to add, I think there is a lack of taking personal responsibility. And I know you as a coach probably see that more than, Ever oh, with all clients, the time. Yeah. you're doing because 
everyone's like, oh, someone else will vote. Oh, someone else right. will do that. Someone else will do that. But for us to see this future full of love, start with self and then have one conversation with one person. And maybe they will have another and another and another. And then that ripple effect will just permeate instead of thinking, well, I can't solve world peace, so I'm not even going to bother trying. So Yeah, and I think that's because that's the thing, right? Is like to truly, and both you and I, you know, being married men, having little ones, it's like the little, the really tiny things sometimes are the biggest acts of love. Mm -hmm. Whether that be opening the door up for our wives or, you know, um, remembering her favorite ice cream, or helping for me, sometimes it's just like I wake, I'll wake up before my wife to take care of Isla. And like that little thing for her is like, oh man, like now I just know how much you love me. Mm-hmm. Instead of thinking, I gotta buy her a diamond ring, you know, I, right? It's like I gotta give her ten thousand dollars. <laughs> it's not, it's not the biggest things that make the biggest difference in our marriages. And it'd be interesting to see if, like, what if we understood that in everyday life where it's a whole bunch of people doing really small things that make a big impact in the long term, you know? And it's that type of thinking that I think is transformative. Is like, what, what if we just focused on the things that we can actually control instead of the things that we can't control? Do the mundane well and control what you can control, right? That's it. We can't control a lot. We cannot control a lot, but we can control our words. We can tr- control how we show up and how we act. We can control giving our word and being our word, integrity and all that. Well, let me, so for you, when is it hard for you to love? I mean, it's it's hard often. (laughs) We're all humans. We're all fallible. Like, I'm not perfect. I can get out of my stuff quicker because I'm a little more aware when I'm in my stuff. Doesn't mean I don't get lost in it and try to be right and go into that space all the time as well. But simple things, I give this example a lot, like someone cuts you off in traffic, you just want to give them the bird, smash down on the horn, and like drive up to them, look in the window, and do all these things. Because you think they did that to you on purpose, but realizing that all humans operate out of the information they have in that given moment, and they probably didn't see you, and they're in a rush getting to who knows where, and they didn't do that to you on purpose. But we think that people do those things to us on purpose, which is back to taking it personal. Yeah. So I think those little things are what helps me stay in love more often. And then it's also the fact, like, I put my life out there. So I need to be what I am and what I walk and what I talk and what I paint. And if I'm not that, I'm just a walking contradiction. And the last thing I ever want to know is someone like sees me and like, you're not that. You're not love. You're not exuding that. And then I'm like, why am I doing what I'm doing if I'm not being the thing that I'm trying to do? So I think being it is also part of it. Like I have to be it as often as possible. And it's, it's really also the foundation is self love. And like, Am I being kind to myself right now? Or am I beating myself up? And what are those reasons? Because you start beating yourself up and that can spiral out into being angry and short with everyone else. And all of a sudden you're projecting all these attitudes on someone else, which is you just having a conversation inside of you that nobody knows about. One of the biggest obstacles to living a life of agape love is our own selfishness. It is easy to love others when they meet our needs and when they make us feel good. 
when they do the right thing. But it's much harder to love them when they don't, when they don't hit the mark, when they don't do what we want them to do, or when we don't feel like it. I mean, it makes sense to me. It's easy to love someone when they bake your favorite cookies, do all the chores, or take out the trash without you asking. I mean, who wouldn't want that? Unconditional love is putting others' needs above our own. And this can be difficult, especially when we don't feel like we are getting anything in return. My baby girl, Isla, is lucky she's so damn cute because sometimes that little girl does not lift a finger to help her mama and me in the house. I mean, I say sometimes, but it's pretty much all the time. She's, she's 18 months old. So there's not much that she really does to help but yet we love her. We love her unconditionally. We love her We love her wholly, even though it feels like it's a one-way street. Another obstacle to living a life of agape love is, is this little thing called fear. You see, because it can be scary to love other people unconditionally, can it? Because it means something. It means that we are open to being hurt. When we love others selflessly, we're vulnerable to their actions and to their words. They could reject us. They could hurt us. Maybe they could manipulate us. Maybe they could betray us. And that's what we're afraid of. You see, we're afraid of believing or putting ourselves in a position where someone could take advantage of our love. To have a brand built on love, some people would say, hell, man, that's a lot of pressure. And how do you stay in alignment? with this posture of love. What, I wonder what brings you back when you realize you're disconnected, you know, or, or maybe when you've let a couple things slip or haven't paid attention to certain things, what brings you back to your center? Besides the fact that it surrounds me at all hours of the day, it, it, it's, I'm just so committed to the vision and the mission of what Live Through Love is and can be and how it could affect people. That's what brings me back. It brings me back is more people and the impact. Because I also think I've just been so wrapped up and lost in myself for so long. I really mm. try not to go down that path anymore. And the few times that it does happen, because of course it does happen, I realize it and it hits me so much harder. Like, oh, why did I make that decision? Oh, man, I'm feeling like this. I wonder what they're feeling like. Let me go clear that to make sure it came off correctly. Because now I'm feeling it. So I think I, I could take inventory more, which helps me stay here more. I'm definitely not the king of self-awareness <laughs> of my wife. <laughs> but I think I'm more self-aware than I have been in the past to realize this. And then lastly, it's keeping myself out of situations. Like if I'm not comfortable, if I don't want to do things, you know, I used to say, I say yes to a lot of things, but in a broader scope of like saying yes to everything. And I'll give it as a simple example as like the homies want to get drinks to watch the game and just get drunk. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want to do that because that's not going to get me to where I'm trying to go. So that, that thing where I used to get lost in, because that was a thing. And if we right. take inventory of what people are doing in those moments more often than not, is they are not in the active state of like really choosing to respond for life. They're trying to escape where they're at. And, and right. then I 
that. And I don't want to be in that position or judge someone. So I'm going to keep myself out of that position now. Well, just on a simple level, like how do you even define love? What, like, what is it to you? You know, this has been coming up a lot and I have a bunch of different ways of like saying it, but honestly, I want to define a single word with a single word. Love is a verb. Okay. And that's it. It's an action. So you actively are choosing to love. We're not talking rom-coms and romantic love is completely different than the love that we're talking about. This love is, you know it when you feel it and when you're in it, you're not even thinking about it. And it's also not like, I love these Louis Vuitton Air Force Ones and I really want them. Obviously, there's some love in that sense. (laughs) And I also don't believe love is being a martyr and sacrificing yourself. I've, I've gone through all that. You know, parents will say, well, you'll see when you have a kid and you're going to sacrifice and you're going to, I'm like, I'm making choices for me, for my child. My child will never owe me anything. These are choices I made, right? My wife and I chose to have Remy. He will never owe me a thing. So I think love is limitless in that sense of you don't owe me anything. And it comes freely from me. And it starts with loving myself and it's an active verb you have to choose it and choose it daily probably not the way most people would define love you know besides the romantic feeling and your heart rate elevates and you get goosebumps and blood pressure rises and hormones start kicking in that, that's the physiological response yeah i think what's i mean what's fascinating is i think part of what limits maybe it's just the western world's concept of love is our language because we do try to take the word love and apply it to so many different things, right? It's like, I love, I love my spouse. I love the Louis Vuitton Air Force Ones, right? I love donuts. I love my favorite sports team. I love myself. I love God. And there is nuance and difference within all these things. And that's part of why I think, you know, even if you look at the concept, like there's more than one iteration of it. There's, there's more than one way to describe what it is and even how you apply it. Um, and I think like I, I wish that's part of what we stepped into more and more to say, hey, this reality is so nuanced and it's so textured that I think we need more ways of describing it. Mm-hmm. I think we need more ways of like stepping into it and and practicing it and honoring it because it is a sacred essence that I think every human being understands, but not every be- every human being knows how to practice it. So, cause if it's a verb, it's like, how do, how do I practice it? Cause I would add to that too. Like love is a skill. Very much so a skill. But again, most people just want to relegate it to like, it's a feeling mm-hmm. and either I feel it or I don't feel it instead of saying, Hey, wait a minute. So love is a verb. Love's a skill. It's action oriented. It is it's alive. How are you working on the skill? How are you acting out the verb? Like, you know, like what does that look like in real time for you? Because if we had more of that, I honestly think things would be shifting more and more every day for the better. But because it's more passive, it's just a feeling thing, I think we sit on it. I agree. I mean, I'll add love is fuel, right? Mm -hmm. Food is fuel. What does food do to your body? It energizes it. gives you the calories needed for you to move your muscles and think cognitively and feel things. So love is also fuel. and I honestly, I think this isn't a dog marketing. I love marketing and branding and all of that as an artist, obviously, but we've marketed it to a dozen roses, chocolates, and a rom-com. 
a diamond ring, Zales commercials, or a nice designer purse. And this isn't to dog any of that. This is just where the misconception, I think, lies. Also, let's put some of that weight on us as men for the longest time, especially immigrant men, right? It's like, you can't feel those feelings. You've got to be macho. You've got to be unemotional. You've got to be strong and stoic. And, you know, one of the biggest ways of showing up most powerfully and strongest is being vulnerable, right? Mm -hmm. If a a dude goes on stage and cries, I'm going to start crying. If a guy goes on stage and starts yelling how tough he is, I'm going to be like, tune out. I'm out. Tuning out. Like, just think about that, right? Because it makes me think about what are the the often not talked about forms of love, right? And and because I think that you know for men, vulnerability is a form of both self love and loving the person that we're in relationship with, or the people that we're in relationship with. I also think, and this is what comes up a lot for me as a coach, is it's this idea of fierce advocacy, right? Like if I love you. I'm going to advocate for you. And sometimes that means I'm going to tell you the things that are hard to hear. Mm -hmm. But I think for the most part, people think when you love someone, you just, you love them as they are. And you, and you never really expose them to themselves. And I honestly think, yeah, you, you, well, and that's the thing, but it's been paraded as love and acceptance Mm -hmm. instead of saying, there's a way to accept somebody and say, I love you. And I'm going to invite you into a higher version of yourself by giving you some really solid feedback. And I think that's one of the lost art forms of love. Because again, if it's a verb, if it's a skill, that's a way for us to practice it to say, because I love you, you know, I'm going to let you know you got some kale on your teeth. (laughs) You know, this is a way that you can grow. This is the way that, you know, you rub people the wrong way, or this is the way that maybe you're sitting on some talent whatever it is, everybody around us can use that type of love. And that's another thing that I think I I just wish more of us were comfortable with it. And I don't know if you've experienced this coming from Latino background, but in my family, it's always like, well, don't tell it. Don't tell your mom this. Don't tell your, you know, don't tell your titi this. Don't tell. And it's like, what do you mean? Don't tell. Do we love them or not? Right. Because if we do, it's like, hey, go tell them. Go let them know. You got to be the good, respectful son. That's like, let me not help you grow. And right. Like, where did that come from? And then we get stuck in that cycle, though. But two things I heard you say that I think is also very important is you've got to have the courage to ask permission to give the feedback. So so that goes to you. Ask yourself if you want to ask the permission to give someone that feedback out of love. And then make sure you ask for feedback, or else it's gonna, it's a it's a whole different, it's gonna come off not from love, but more like criticism and who knows what other red flags it'll trigger in someone. Well, and it's funny because from a coaching standpoint, we actually have a framework for feedback. And the first thing is ask for permission. And actually the second beat there is align it with their vision. And I think that's what most people, again, from a feedback standpoint, a lot of times people who are willing to give feedback, usually they give you feedback from their vision for you. Mm. instead of, well, what's your vision for you? And I want to actually help you get some feedback that helps you bring that to life because I'm interested in the things that you want for your life, which, you know, you can't give feedback, not from a place of love, but a place of self-interest. 
And, and I think that's the true loving feedback is like, hey, I'm advocating for who you want to be. I'm advocating for where you want to go. So that's where I'm going to give you the feedback from. Yeah, you, you want to, you know, like in sales, everyone has an agenda. There's their agenda. There's your agenda. And eventually you want to make their agenda your agenda and your agenda their agenda. But from coaching, what I heard you say is, and I think this is the difference with a lot of coaches because I know a whole slew of coaches and most of them are, it's about them, not about the client. So if you bring them back to their vision, they can't even get mad at you. It's like, right. I'm you, your vision. Is this your vision? Did you that's not wanted this? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it's true because there's a lot of coaches out there. It is about them doing the heavy lifting. Let me show you how insightful I am. And like, you know, instead of what I love about, it's different from speaking and this is what I had to learn because, you know, for me, speaking came first. As a speaker, I'm, I'm going to present ideas. I'm going to tell stories. I'm going to I'm going to entertain you. Mm -hmm. And I am doing a little bit more of the heavy lifting. But as a coach, it's not about my thoughts or ideas or perspective, really. It's more about what are you up to and how can I ask questions that unlock your awareness, that unlock the best version of you? So I need to be. That's the thing is, if I'm going to be a good coach, that's what I'm interested in. If, if you're wowing yourself by what you create through our relationship, then I think we're going to have a good future together. Love is a verb. We've heard that time and time again from Ruben. But how do we practice that? One of the ideas I bring up is non-complementary behavior, which is the radical practice of doing the exact opposite of your partner in a conflict. When you catch wind of someone gossiping about you behind your back, what's the kindest thing you can say about them? When someone talks over you or interrupts you, is there an opportunity for you to listen, get curious, and ask questions? Is there someone in your life you feel wronged by? Can you offer them forgiveness, especially if you think they don't deserve it or haven't earned it? Love is a verb. And what does it look like for us to live out that verb day to day? Because I'm really I'm fascinated by this idea of, of non-complementary behavior. Are you are you familiar with the idea? Define it for me to make sure I'm yeah, thinking so, about Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no. So essentially it's this idea that if you meet somebody who slaps you, it's different than turn the other cheek. It's someone slaps you and then you hug them. And and I and I think again, if love's a verb, love's a skill, part of me thinks like this is one of the most enlightened forms of love that is accessible for us as human beings where like somebody can actually hate us, hit us, you know, hurt us, and we can return that with love. So I'd like to hear even like some of your thoughts on that. Do you feel like you're able to practice that? Is that a place that if you're not able to practice it, you still feel like you want to get to? I think it's definitely on the list of get to and do it better. It falls in line a little bit with what I was saying earlier and just realizing that this is the hard part, but don't take it personal. I, I'm very sensitive. I'm very empathetic, emotional. So I take everything personal. So that, <laughs> that agreement from the four agreements is like the thing. One of the things that I need to worry about and make sure I acknowledge 
but taking it in, not taking it personal and giving it back, you know, and you know, who's really good about talking about this is also Gary Vee. It's, I want to get better at it. It's definitely in the mindset of what I'm practicing and doing and what living through love is. I never defined it that way, but I like that. And I'm going to have to add it to add it, add it, add it to the game. Yeah. Cause I, I would say, you know, part of the thing that I love to introduce people to is when you have a way of being that's firm and rooted, there's no one that can knock you off of that. And a lot of times we base how we show up on how other people treat us or how other people speak to us or how whatever, but to truly have a strong presence in love in generosity in kindness and all these really empowered postures, it's knowing that I'm rooted and I walk through the world that I can't control in a world that will hate on me, spit on me, call me names, doubt me, criticize me, judge me. And, and I'm not shaken. I'm actually stronger on the other end. And I, I treat people not the way they treat me, but at that elevated state with love, with hope, with courage. And those are the people that I think leave a lasting impact, you know, so I can, that's one of those things where like, I can talk about it conceptually. <laughs> and then I notice my instinct of like, yo, if you do me wrong, I'm gonna come at, I'm gonna come at you. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then I just, well, now it's like, I can notice it from a place of mindfulness and just, man, that's still in me. And then I don't shame myself for it. I just, I see it. And then I say, okay, like, how can I shift it? Mm -hmm. You know? What's my strategy to move from that like instinctual response? Because sometimes I will say it, like I'll be like, you mother, and then it's like, oh. <laughs> and sometimes I'll just yeah, <laughs> right. And sometimes I'll I'll actually say it, and then part of the loving act there is, hey, you know what? That that's not the best version of myself. So you know, will you forgive me? I'm I'm committed to showing up different next time, and and I really want to show up in a loving way like that. There's just power in that, and I think that's part of the vulnerability thing too. Is can we step in it and then get right back out and say, hold on, hold on, okay, I'm going to course correct. You know, it's also like forgiving yourself. You ask yourself for forgiveness first too, and just like, mm -hmm. dude, I'm a human. Okay, I I get to freak out. It's okay. But also the other thing that I heard in there is, and it's hard because this is programming, meet them where they're at. So if people are low energy, you go low energy. If they're high energy, you go high energy. If they're in the middle, you go in the middle. If they're stern, you go stern. So that's like, how do you deprogram that? But also there's a point for that as well in connecting. You have a little bit of that and a little bit more of what you just stated, like be firmly rooted in showing up the way you're always going to show up. But you don't want to, you know, an example I could give that, you know, that annoying, really bubbly person. <laughs> yeah. He's that person, no matter what you're like, I'm not, I cannot match. I, there is nothing. This just doesn't, this frequency of vibration doesn't. <laughs> I'll just like, here's a hug. I'm going to move on. <laughs> like, where do you find that middle with that? Is that a question for me? Or is that you just let's, it's it's more rhetorical, but we could ask yeah. it two things and how you're showing that up. How would you how would you coach me on that, for example? Wait, so so re say it again so that I, I understand what you're saying. So showing up rooted in our vision at all times, but then we've got that meet them where they are, but then you've got that trigger person. And mm -hmm. no matter what you do, you're always triggered. 
how do you show up with all that without either being overbearing or just not coming from love? Like you're a little more ego-y or protective or yeah. Does that make sense? Well, because it sounds like, yeah, it makes sense. Cause well, part of it is I think there's there's a couple things there. It's if you experience a certain type of person as triggering, on one side of it, it's hey, what do you make up about who they are? And are you aware of the meaning that you're created? you're creating in, in your interactions with them. So it's slowing down to say, hey, they trigger me. Oh, because I translate what they do in this way. So, you know, whether it be, I think I'm better than them, you know, because sometimes that that is where it's coming from, right? There's like maybe a sense of arrogance and they trigger me because I, I think they're fake and I'm real, mm. you know, and nobody can be that bubbly the whole time. And so it comes from a place of judgment to say, oh, now I notice, wow, I noticed that in me is, Maybe there's a sense of arrogance. There's a sense of judgment. And part of the thing to notice is what internal character is coming out from you as you relate to that person. And then that's where you get to go back to vision to say, okay, so who am I committed to being in the midst of somebody who's triggering? Because then you could say, okay, I'm, I'm committed to being curious with that type of person. I'm going to ask them more questions. Mm-hmm. I'm going to out some of my inner dialogue. Because sometimes that's the thing too, is we'll just hold our judgments in. Instead of saying, hey, you know what, can I talk to you about this for a second? I, you, I experience you as a really bubbly person. You're almost like unattainably bubbly. One, are you aware of that? Because they could be like, what? And then if they're like, yeah, I know that. And then you could say, oh, okay, cool. Like, is that, is that your vision? Is that the way that you want to show up? Do you want to show up like that with everybody? Right? Then you get to get clear with that. And then if they say, yes, that's who I want to be. And then you get to say, well, that really doesn't connect with me. Mm. Either A, you can learn how to connect with that person in that way, or they can learn how to bring it down for you. And that's where you have a conversation about, hey, how do we both meet in the middle? Instead of feeling like it's all your job. How do you feel about that? That's good. <laughs> You'll take it? You'll take it? Yeah. You know, it's funny because I'm sitting here looking. I'm picturing a few people in my head right now. And I definitely don't think I'm better than them. That's not the conversation, but mm-hmm. it's just it annoyed. It's really the annoyed. I don't know why. I, th- I think part of it is like, are you really being you? Is this your authentic self or is this one of your masks? And then why is it appearing to me? Like, I need to take it back to personal responsibility, right? Because I'm allowing myself to be triggered. It's like when people get offended, I'm like, I can't offend you. You yeah. chose to t- offense to what I just said. Plus, I didn't aim it at you. Like if I was trying to insult you, that's a completely different thing. But like, oh, I'm so offended right now. Like, thanks for giving me your power. Right, right, right. Well, and, the, yeah. and that is why to me, there because there is, there's there's a judgment, there's a story about that person and how they show up. So I think that's the part of the vulnerability of it is like, do you want to have a conversation with them to say, hey, here's how I interact with your way of being. And then when both of you can get clear with what your vision is for one another and how you interact with one another, I think that's where some of the shifts can happen. Because, you know, this is, I think you you subscribe to kind of a cop-out that people have is like, well, that's just the way that I am. And I would say that's not true a lot of the time. We have default ways of showing up that have just become second nature. Mm-hmm. And so for somebody who is like too bubbly all the time, on one side of it, it's like, I can see that as something that is natural, that they've learned along the way, you know, it helps them cope with life. 
sometimes those are the types of people that they avoid some of the tougher things of life, you know, and that's how they've survived, right? So I think same thing through that compassion and empathy lens. It's just really diving into their story to be like, hey, here's what I experienced. Like, let's let's talk about this a little bit, you know, but it, it all depends on what your vision is for your relationship with them. Because if you're like, this is kind of an acquaintance, then that may not be worth your time and energy. No, no, I agree. I I wouldn't keep people like that in my circle because yeah. it wouldn't help me stay in vision or elevate me because I do see, I think I've done enough work where you start seeing things. Like my wife has introduced me to friends of her past and day one, I'm like, uh-uh, I'm good. Mm-hmm. Later, she's not friends with a lot of them now. So like there's a sense where we've got to trust our intuitions and it doesn't mean they're bad people. It's just right. not your your thing and just hang around with more people that you want to be around. But it is interesting because I'm going to, I've, you had me ask some questions that now I'm running through in my head and I think it's more, and I'm cordial and I'll say hi and all those things. It isn't like, but I'm like, I don't want to have a deeper conversation. <laughs> Because I don't think it's going to go deeper, but then that's a judgment now I'm putting on it. Yes. Yes, exactly. You know? Well, because I think, because part of it is just exercising the tool of mindfulness, which one of the definitions I love about that is being in the moment judgment-free. Mm-hmm. And so part of that means I can actually spot all my judgments, you know, and I don't have to subscribe to them. I can I can just look at them and say, wait a minute, do I want to do I want to attach to that judgment right now and like make it a part of my my mind? Or do I want to say, nope, that's not who I am. You know, nope, I see it. Okay, nope, that's not who I am. Mm-hmm. And I think judgment is one of the fascinating, to me, it's like, it's, it's a really interesting posture to take because it is such a self-protected mode. You know, like we we block the outside world and the potential dangers through judgment, and it has a specific function. And the more we can become aware of like, oh, this is the function of judgment. Now I know why judgment surfaces when it does. And I, and I can be aware of that so that I use judgment for the good as opposed to, you know, just for blocking people out. So I wanted to ask another question. To me, this relationship between love and passion is really interesting because I think sometimes people just combine the two. It's like love, passion. And I think they're actually distinct. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on like, what is the difference for you on love and passion? I just dive into passion can be fleeting, can be temporary and can move from thing to thing. Like I used to be so passionate about competing in CrossFit. I love CrossFit. I train in CrossFit now, but I do not have a passion to compete in it anymore. I just don't. I call myself a retired CrossFit athlete. So that's how I kind of distinguish the two. You know, I, I think love is more, I think it's deeper. It's more permanent. And it's something that's like woven into your fabric of who you are and your way of being. And passions can ebb and flow. You know, sometimes I'm more passionate about hip hop than EDM and EDM than hip hop. Like, I think passion is a little bit more, how am I feeling today? What season is it? Um, It's still important, but hobbies can be passions. And when you really love your hobby, I think it becomes something very real. Like me as an artist, it's, it's beyond a hobby. It's beyond passion. Um, it's it's love. Part of what I hear there is like, so potentially passion is finite and then love is infinite. Is that mm-hmm. an accurate sort of interpretation? Is It's like if love is a fuel, love's a fuel that's it's a never-ending fuel. 
And then passion may be a fuel that has an end. Passion is like hitting the NOS button in your Fast and Furious car and getting that extra boost. Yeah, it's like, boom, I just got that boost. I got there. And now you need to recharge the passion where love is like, once you're connected to that, you're good to go. You have a nonstop boost. Yeah, and I think you you can have a lot of passions in life. This is where I think love is overused when we say, I love everything. You can love every type of music. You can be very passionate for some over others, I believe, right? I don't, or we can't love it with the same intensity. You know, it's also like a passionate moment. You're in the thick of it with your wife, just like, you know, kissing and hugging and holding. That's a passionate moment, a lot of energy, a shorter burst. Whereas I love my wife, like we're going the distance. Two different things. That's how I look at it in like romance, let's say. Right. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. So part of what I I mean, I want to transition into just this idea for you, for the concept of the show. What do you see in the future, like a future that's based in love? What do you see? And there's so many different areas to focus on there, right? It's like, hey, what do you see politically? You know, what do you see financially? Because people talk about our economic system right now with inflation going all over the place. What do you think about racism in the future? So you could pick whatever you want. There's there's so many different areas. Or you could talk about a couple of different things. But I'd love to really tap into, as you look at the future, even as you create the future from love, what does it look like? I mean, I can answer all those points individually with, with what I'm thinking and just what I know based on science and my studies in the past. But I really think that a loving future is going to come back to some of the things we've had, like we can both have a difference of opinion and love each other. And that difference of opinion doesn't need to lead to a judgment that gives us a definitive, no, I will not talk to you now, right? Let's call it a Republican versus a Democrat. I mean, two humans that loved each other and all of a sudden it became about politics and they're no longer friends and unfriended. You saw this all throughout the pandemic. Like, Mm -hmm. why is that even a thing? Why can't we have an opinion and not be canceled? So like for politics, you know, I throw it out there. It's the purple party. It's right down the middle. It's the party of love because all sides have valid points. We don't want to take away from one or the other. The extremes of the points are a little rough, but like what's the best for a human and a human to move forward as humanity, right? As far as racism, dude, there's going to be a day that we're all brown. It's going to come. Like, I don't know right. how many years from now they, they give some estimates, but it, it just is what it is. So I think <laughs> it's going to go away and it is very real and we can't think that it doesn't exist. And I think it's rooted in so much more than the surface that we see. And that comes goes back to just love and loving every human being, right? So, you know, I... I truly believe that if humanity ever gets all their clicks and ducks and T's and I's dotted and crossed and in a row, we can see world peace. And hopefully it's before we blow up this planet. Um, But if we go the way we're going and we end up colonizing Mars, I don't see that being like, oh, let's start planet love. It's, It's tough. And I think we need to take personal responsibility. And I think it needs to be more about the I in the sense of I and team, not the I as in me, myself, and I, right? Because if you take responsibility for you as a teammate of humanity, how can we move humanity forward? 
So that that's how I look at it, right? And it and it's simple. I say I heard this one time, and I've been practicing it ever since. And I live in Venice, so you, Santa Monica, Venice. There's homeless people everywhere. One of the worst things you could do is see a human in need and just look away and keep walking. Like take take note of how you feel in that moment, or how that may trigger you later down the line, and it may take forever before you realize it. But you you don't even have to give them money. You don't have to do anything. Look at them, give them a smile, and move on. Like that's what I do when I see people that are homeless on the streets, and you could sense that that love between the two of us translated, and they're going to have a better day for it, and I'm going to have a better day for it because I acknowledge another human. They're not lesser than me. They're in a different circumstance. Yeah, and that goes back to I as part of the whole team, though. Yeah, and I think, I mean, even what came up for me as you shared that story, my my mind went to, oh, imagine a future where we didn't ignore homeless people, but like we befriended them. But then my, I went to another thing. I was like, wow, imagine a future so rooted in love that everybody has a home. Yeah. And again, I think we'd all need to be truly loving people to care enough to figure out how to solve this plight, especially on the West Coast, because I think what's become norm is we turn our we turn our face to suffering and it's become a habit, right? It's just like second nature. We act like it's not there instead of being connected to some of the human suffering in the world and, and to have broken hearts about it and let those broken hearts lead to action. Because as you said earlier, right, love is a verb. Mm-hmm. And do we love our fellow human being because we are part of the team enough to say and this connects to back to what we were saying earlier too to find the little thing that you can do that will change that situation and i guarantee that if every single human being finds that little thing that we can do from a place of love we can eradicate something like homelessness and we can find all the big things right because part of what i've been working on uh recently is because i love sneakers as you know we talk about it often And just wanted to create a, a non-for-profit that says, hey, what if I were to just give sneakers to people who needed it, you know? So somebody who's homeless, that, and it, I see this all the time too, just walking with no shoes on, at the, the one little thing I can do is, I'm gonna give you a pair of sneakers. You know, it doesn't solve your whole situation, but it solves a piece of it. And then if we all did that, before you know it, there's no more homeless people, you know? So I think that's a beautiful future to, to start to think of and and, you know, for you, man, like I'm, I know that our, our friendship is still young and, and budding, but I'm, I'm super grateful that, you know, we cross paths and we're able to have these types of conversations and even build with one another as we both make our impact in the world. So, you know, you are that type of teammate that I say, man, I'm excited to continue to build with you. Dear friends, I hope this letter finds you well. This letter comes to you from the future where we have just done something unexpected. And yet now, so obvious. You see, this evening, in the very near future from where you are now, both houses of Congress have done something that would have seemed impossible in your own time. They have come to an agreement and ratified a new constitutional amendment. And what is this new civil right? A guarantee of love and a promise of hope. That is what our once and future society will be based on now and forevermore. You might be thinking, how does that work? How do you build a society on such nebulous ideas and vague promises? It's a question I'm inviting you to ask yourself now, because you're the one who came up with the solution. 
and I get to rejoice in your labors. My world is not all that different from yours, though. So many people in your time were choosing fear as their guiding principle and doubt as their doctrine. But there was an ever more powerful force moving through your society, a force that imagined a world healed. In our world, kindness and forgiveness are the foundation of everything. They are what guide us and help us to find our way. I know that in your world, things are difficult. There's so much pain. There's so much suffering. But I want you to know that it doesn't have to be this way. There is another way. In our world, service and sacrifice are the light that guides us through the darkness. They are the force that drives us forward, and they are the foundation that we stand on. You see, my friends, I believe in you. I believe that you can create a world that is based on hope and love. I believe that you have the power to change the world. I know it won't be easy, but I promise you, I promise you, it will be worth it. With love, from the future. Thank you for listening to this episode of From the Future with Love. We are thankful to all of you for supporting the show during the year that changed us forever. Thank you for being a part of our community and for sharing our content on social media. Leave us a review and let us know what you think of this episode. See you next time on From the Future with Love. From the Future with Love was written and performed by yours truly, Johan Martinez Kalilian, produced by Rithu Jagannath and Matthew Jones, executive produced by Jason Jaggard, fact checked by Rithu Jagannath, editing, mix and tech production by Hammond Chamberlain, photography by Jess Kaler, and graphic design by Ivan Lizarde. Thanks again, my friends. Until next time. Mm-hmm.